Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Last time we did the tafsir of Surah Yasin from verses number 1 to 32, but we didn't have the computer that day unfortunately, so I let you listen to this loud today. However, today we are going to try, inshallah, Aziz, to go from verse 33 until the end. So you just listen to the recitation of verses number 33 to 36. And this Allah is saying is, And a sign for them is the dead land. We gave it life and brought forth grain from it, so from it they ate. The first issue, there are several signs being mentioned here. Number one is a sign of Allah's power. Right, that the unbelievers felt that they would taunt the Prophet that Allah Taala has no power over them. That you claim that you have come from an all-powerful being. But where exactly is that power? And the, some of these ayat of Allah Taala or the signs of Allah Taala that he refers to are the signs of his attributes, in this case the sign of his power. The second obviously notion here is this notion of bringing the death back to life. So what Allah Taala is describing here is a barren land. Dead land here we would call a barren land. In Urdu you would call this a banjur zameen, infertile, barren land, a land from which life should not be able to spring forth. Now Allah SWT says that we give that, li- that land life and bring forth grain from it, and so from it they eat. And we have placed, now how does Allah SWT do this? Obviously Allah SWT is not negating the asbab. The way He brings this barren life, barren land back to life is by sending rain upon it, or by making springs gush forth from underneath it. Uh, and then there's also this notion what Allah is referring to here. And that is something that people love to ask this question of what came first, the chicken or the egg. So Allah is making it clear that not every seed was planted by a human being. That me and you, and even if you look at this in terms of logic, it cannot be a negatively inverse regression that if the only time wheat ever grows is because some human hand planted it, well, where did you get that first seed in the first place? Because the first seed would have come from the wheat. So it must mean that there must have been some initial stage in which without a human being planting that seed of wheat, the wheat had grown. So Allah subhanahu wa can also be doing ishara here to his initial takhliq, which was without asbab, without the human farmer, without the toiler, without the seed being planted. Allah subhanahu wa himself created this world in such a way that these plants and vegetables and fruits grow from the earth, and that was done for the human being's benefit. The second thing is we have placed gardens now and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moving from grain to dates and then ultimately to grapes, right? Covering these different sort of categories. And I mentioned to you before the ultimate thing in the Arab desert was dates and grapes. To have a date orchard or to have a grape orchard. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that we have placed gardens of date palms and grapes and causes springs to gush forth therein. Springs gush forth is the notion of water, underground water sources. As in addition to water coming down from the sky, both ways Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to create so that they may eat fruits thereof, while it was not made by their hands. Now again, here, this is the truth of seers of this. On the one meaning, you can take this to be referring to the initial act of creation. So it was not made by their hands, it means that a human being might take a grape seed and plant it. But they did not create the grape. They did not design the grape in red and green and seedless and seeded and tasty and bitter, etc. All of that was made by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or the initial seeding was done by Allah. Or if you take this even at the asbabi level that a human being has planted the seeds, still all they did was plant the seed, right? That Who was that being who put that process into place and by virtue of becoming a seed into a seedling, into a sapling to sprout and to grow the fruit and then the fruit gets ripe? A human being did not design that process. And all of this is being mentioned in Afala Yashkurun. And I explained to you sometimes before that kufr and shukr 
are actually contrasted to one another. Allah tells us from the Quran that do shukr means number one, acknowledge the fact that you have received these ni'mas from me. And do not deny that these are my ni'mas. Or at another level, acknowledge me as the source of the blessings you have gotten. Do not deny me my very existence, my very being. So afala yashkarun, can they not find gratitude? Can they not become thankful to that Lord who has made this whole earth subservient to them? Who has designed the whole system of earth such that it gives them risk, provision in these ways of grains and dates and fruits, which is just a metaphor or is a murad from this is everything. Everything that grows out of the earth. Pure from every fault, subhan. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing himself that is beyond subhan again means free from any defect, any nukas, beyond even the sight, imagination of any type of nusk is that one, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that being khalaq al-azwaj akullaha. Now this mentioning of pears, right? Pears from everything that He has created from the earth, this is something that may not have been understood perhaps scientifically by the Sahaba at that time, but in this day and age actually if you study plant science, uh, even plants have males and females, right? Or if you do, you can take pair in a much more gender another way. It doesn't have to be just gender. Pairs in terms of chromosome pairs, DNA pairs, strands. There's so many ways to understand this concept of pairing. And whatever the earth comes out of any, and has that binucleic acid, those twin rotating strands of DNA, that is what Allah subhanahu has created. And of that which do they not know? Right? So whatever the earth grows, and if humans themselves, and humans themselves obviously, the pairs here would be male and female. Right? And this is a recurring theme, and Allah subhanahu wa mentioned this elsewhere in the Quran, that everything He has created in pairs, He is the only being Himself who has no pair. <laughs> this is actually one of His manifestations of Tawheed, that every single thing has a shirik. There's matter, there's dark matter, there's energy, there's negative energy, positive ion, negative ion, every single thing has a couple. Every single thing he made is at pairs, so that there's nothing in his makhluk that has tawheed, there's nothing in his makhluk that is truly wahid. Every single thing in his creation has some sharik or the other. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is that being la sharik Allahu, who is worthy of this, who is, who is accurately can be described in such a way. So whatever the earth grows, whatever human, and of that which they not know. Giving a shahar that there's massive amounts of Allah subhanahu wa creation that we are unaware of, or there might be creation of whose pairs we're unaware of, but Allah subhanahu has declared this in such a way, right? So Allah subhanahu if we are a person, if, we, if this eye is working on us, and we are getting amazed by the dates or the grapes, Allah is saying, just, this is just the beginning. If this is what amazes you, know that my creation and my shan of my creation is massively amazing. The next few. These next four ayahs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the first four, Allah ta'ala mentioned things that refer to the arz, 
the earth. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is moving to the samawat, the skies, the heavens, the firmaments. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts with this notion of day and night. That itself is a pair. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, not only have I created everything on earth in pairs and as a sign, but I've created the whole samawat also in pairs. So a sign for them is the layl, is the night. Now what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is we strip the cover of day from it and actually what Allah is saying is rather that we suck the light out of the nahar. We suck the light or the brilliance light out of the day when the day's light is completely taken out which is from Maghrib to Isha then when Isha comes they are suddenly in darkness. Alright? So the first thing is this moving from the day and night. This also is this concept of time. This whole next four verses is about time, about regularity, about fixed patterns. And Allah is saying that this is not coincidental. This has also happened by design. This is also one of my signs that I wish for you. Imagine what life would be like if it was 24 hours daylight or 24 hours blackness or nighttime. Right? And elsewhere in the Quran, Allah says that we have made the little subata, we have made the night a rest for you, an ease for you. Right? And the day has barakah and work for you. See, these are all signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next is a very famous verse about the sun, Bakr Saab. The sun and progressing to its mustaqar. What is this mustaqar? Right? If you look at the Arabic, It's going to its mustaqar, its jai karar, if you will, in Urdu, its destination. Right? That is the design, of, that is the fashioning of Allah Spanta, who is Al-Aziz Al-Aleem. This notion of the sun, right? Uh, let me jump at and show you one more verse over here in Surah Zumar. He created the heavens and the earth for just purpose, right? Khalaqa samawati wal ard. Both things are mentioned. He wraps the night over the day and he wraps the day over the night. He follows the night from the day. Each one is enveloping one another. There's no gap. There's nothing in between day and night. They keep coming one after other, right? And he has put the sun and moon under his command. Each one of them moving for an appointed term. <coughs> he is, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ajalim musamma, okay? The Ajil Musamma means a time. A time. Okay? So now we're going to go back to Surah Yasin and I'm going to show you why, you will see in a moment why I made this, why I showed you this verse. So we were over here on 39, 38. Mustaqar in the Arabic language, destination can be of two types. This is known as it's a zarf. It can be either makan or zaman, it can be a mustaqar of place or of time. If you take this to be spatially, then this would suggest to you, right, and people will do itraz on the Qur'an Kareem on the websites that you love to go to, right? That the Qur'an Kareem is suggesting that the sun rotates, whereas modern science tells you that the earth rotates and the verse they will give you is here that Allah SWT says in the Qur'an that is proceeding, the sun is proceeding towards its mustaqat. But when you do tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an and you take that eye from Surah Zumar, and it says clearly that the sun and the moon both are preading to what? لِأَجَلِمْ musamma To a time. So the zarf here is not makan, it is zaman. The mustakar is the time destination of the sun. Which is mentioned in a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. Also which people will do it on and you will understand now. The tafsir of Qatada, Qatada is a tabi. Rahimahullah ta'ala, he is mentioned. This called that mustakar is referring to zarf zaman or a time. And that other verse is used as evidence for that. The hadith in Bukhari Muslim is that uh, Sahaba was with the Prophet ﷺ and, he, and the Prophet turned to him and said, Do you know where the sun goes? And he said, No, Allah and His Messenger know best. And he said, The sun travels to its destination until it falls before the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then it prostrates underneath that arsh and it asks permission to rise again. 
but one day, and it's granted permission, but one day will not be granted permission to rise again, but rather commanded to rise from the west. And the sun rising from the west is mentioned as one of the alamat, or the coming, the signs of the coming of the end of time. So what does this mean? What is, what's this notion of the sun prostrating, and what is that? Right? And a person gets confused. So the reality is that when, and if you look at science, right, every time the sun sets, it rises. There's never a sunset going on in any place in the world other than the sun is rising anywhere else. Because as you know, it's the earth actually that is rotating on its own axis and is rotating around the sun. The sun is not moving in a rotational orbit. It is relatively fixed. Every body in the universe has some movement. But relative to this whole solar system, the sun is the most stationary object. Obviously, massive, the mass of the sun is what's exerting this gravitational force that is making these orbits, even as far as Pluto, revolve around it in an orbit. So what does it mean? If you study astronomy, you will actually learn that there are two times in the whole year and two times in every day in Makkah Mukarramah where every, the shadow of everything does faces the Kama. There are two days in the year in which in the whole world at a particular time, the shadow of every single thing at that particular time does sajda, if you will, or faces exactly to the Kaaba. And in, in, in Makkah Mukarramah itself, every day, there is a time like that. So when the sun is at that moment, some commentators using this modern science view that that is the notion, that that is the way the sun, quote-unquote, does sajda before the arsh, because there's this view that the Kaaba and the Beit al-Ma'mur and the arsh, which are on which the angels are doing tawaf, is somehow in line, right? That's a different dimension, different plane of existence. It's not part of the human realm or the human universe or the angelical realm. So at that moment, the sun is kenayatun or metaphorically also doing its sajda by making every single object in Makkah do sajda then. And at that moment, in so to speak, uh, according to the Sadith, it asks permission, right? It means it waits. It doesn't mean the sun has the ability to speak. It, it, everything is functioning according to the hukam of Allah. Everything in this world is functioning according to what the Quran says, the idhan, or the permission of Allah. Right? And it's due to his idhan for the sun, is not going to be a verbal permission, but his idhan is continuing the hukam for it to, for it to uh, move on from that place on the horizon and continue, uh, have the earth continually rotate around it. Right? So the whole system, if you will, freezes for a second. When the sun is in that place, when everything in Makkah Makarama's shadow points towards the Kaaba. Right? That's, you can take that as a second in time, you can take that as a millisecond in time, but obviously the hukam of Allah always makes the cycle continue. So the continuity of this whole circuit, cycle, orbit, functioning is the hukam of Allah. There will come a day when Allah will suspend the hukam and rather reverse it and tell the earth to rever- rotate backward. And when it's going to reverse, rotate in the reverse order, then the sun is going to rise from the west. Apparently, from what people are looking at, from their west, their west horizon, the sun will appear. And that will be a sign of the day of judgment. And the moon, the next verse that was mentioned is the moon, right over there also, the Ajal Musamma, right? Well, that the moon has phases. This is all of you know the lunar month. There's a full moon, half moon, zero, new moon, which is you cannot see, waning, waxing. There's this whole astronomy around the moon. This notion until it turns. So the translators insert here, pale, curved, and fine. It means it turns like in a different way, like an old branch of a date palm. That's the curvature. The old branch of a date palm has curvature. When the moon is in its waning or waxing, it has this crescent. What do mean you call the crescent? It's on your flag of Pakistan. The curve, the crescent. So the moon actually itself is... A, 
it's like a planetary body, and it's not a planet, but it is also a sphere, right? It's a globe. However, in the way we look at it, right, based on its location, and that is, there was a time when people could tell time. Me and you have watches and calendars. The early people were able to tell the date or the passing of the month simply by looking at the moon, right? They were able to track 5th Zulhajjah. I mean, how did they develop these dates, right? They would sight the moon and that would be the first of the Islamic month and they would keep tracking it by looking at the moon. They were able to track location, navigation by looking at the stars. So whether it's time, direction, space, and this is a lost dying art. There must be some people left in the world, but the Muslims actually were made some of the greatest contributions to astronomy, ilmul falakiyat. But a lot of us, you know, we've lost this science, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions His signs in the sun and the moon. Neither is it for the sun to overtake the moon. The same thing we did over there, that the day cannot overtake the night, the night cannot overtake the day. The same thing is being mentioned here, the sun and the moon, the night and the day. Each one is floating in an orbit, okay? Each one is floating, this is falak. You can translate this as an orbit, as an orbital pattern, as some space in universe. This doesn't have to necessarily be orbit, right? This notion of floating here is that everything is suspended. Even this whole system of gravity, right, is what's making the sun float, so to speak, at the center of the solar system. That is also the creation of Allah. The day He decides to negate any and all gravitational force between objects, then the earth will be spinning this way and something else will be spinning that way. The sun may be spinning some other way, right? All of these things are suspended according to the hukum and design of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. mentioning his creation in the earth and the samawat and over here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions more signs but ayah another sign for them is what they themselves are able to do right that they're able to come up with invent ways of navigation design ships design take wood and make something big out of it that is able to float right and that we boarded their children and this is being mentioned right zuriyat and their children their descendants right uh, this means that in, in other words they are so Sure, or they were so successful in this invention that they're able to put one of the most precious things or one of the most beloved things in them into this boat without any fear of its floating. And that's what me and you do, we go on the plane, right? And there's 99.9999999% chance that nothing is going to happen. And you will take your infant, your baby, you will put yourself, your spouse, your wife, all of your precious 
relatives and the most precious things you have in your life, your own self on that plane. You have reached such a successful level of creation. But that is also just a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that has enabled and endowed human beings with an intellect to do that. And created for them things similar to it. Now, that is something that we can right, come up with, whether it's a car, it's a boat, it's a train, it's a plane, space to Allah, right? what me and you may see in our lifetime or what human beings may be able to invent in the future. And if we so will, we can drown them. But the notion here is that all of this was done. Drown them, crash them, derail them, however you want to view it, depending on the mode of transport. All of this was done only due to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's nobody, you can have massive turbulence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can send a hurricane and tornado onto your plane, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can send a massive tidal wave or typhoon or a, I forgot what they call that, but that, huh? No, 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 in the water. Whirlpool, whirlpool, tsunami. Yeah, you guys know so many terms. Those are all Allah made uh, things. Yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can send that at any moment. So the notion here is it's also their aman. No one will respond to their cry, nor will they be rescued. Right? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to send His punishment on any community, right? all these things are addressed to the people who are rejecting the signs of Allah, the unbelievers. Then there is no one. They can take pride in their buildings, whether it's Ad and Samud, take pride in their construction, their accomplishments, whatever it is. If a punishment comes upon them, no one will even hear or respond to their cry and nor will they be rescued. Unless, إِلَّا رَحْمَةً مِنَّا وَمَتَاءً إِلَّهِينَ So unless there is a mercy from us. It is only our mercy if we choose not to punish a particular community of disbelievers. It is only our mercy if we allow the believers to come to the rescue of the unbelievers. And what we're doing, mata'an ilahin, we're letting them, giving some muhlat. We're letting them enjoy the pleasures of this world for a short period of time. They should not think that, look, the azab of Allah has not come on me, the muakhaz has not come, the pakr has not come, I'm living life and I'm enjoying I'm doing sins and everything's still going fine. My job is fine, my family is fine, my life is fine, my health is fine. What you guys keep saying is that if you commit a sin, Allah Ta'ala is going to punish you for it. I don't see anything. My life is going completely fine. So Allah SWT is saying is this life is temporary. And this is actually a very bad thing. A person should think that this is a sign that maybe Allah has given up on me, that I'm continuing to sin and even then my life is going fine. Why is it that Allah Ta'ala is not sending some punishment as a reminder for me to take me out of my sin, to jolt me? You should be even more scared that not only do I sin, but I don't get jolted by Allah. Is it because Allah Ta'ala has given up on me? Is it because Allah Ta'ala has viewed me to be beyond redemption, beyond relief? Or is Allah Ta'ala choosing due to the magnitude of my sins not to grant me hidayah, not to send anything down on me? And even then, whatever it is that I'm enjoying is just for a short period of time that is appointed. Then, right, when it is said to them, اِتَّكُوا مَا بَيْنَ أَدِيكَمْ That fear what you are doing yourself. Fear what you are doing with your own hands. Fear what you are earning for yourself. Right? And that which will come to you, right, afterwards. خَلْفَهُمْ Which means that is what you are going to have to deal with when you are resurrected. What you have done in the past and what you are about to face in the akhirah. لَا لَكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ If you have taqwa, you will get Allah's rahmah. If you don't have taqwa, you will get Allah's adab. So Allah is saying, I want to send my mercy upon you. That's why I'm asking you to do this taqwa. So that I can send my mercy upon you, so that I may guide you, I may comfort you, I may give you solace and itminan in your life. I may restore to you the dignity, the izzat, that belongs only to Allah's Messenger and the Mu'mineen. There comes to them no sign from the signs of their Lord. However, 
These are such people, and Allah is telling the Prophet that all these signs, they're all there. But they're averse, they reject, they spurn, they repudiate, they deny the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is not a single, min ayatim min ayati rabbihim. There is not a single sign from the signs of Allah that is not to spark them. So that means there is a category of people Allah ta'ala is describing. It's a very intense class of people. That they are beyond anything. They are beyond the reach. And not only are they beyond their reach, what happens... They become averse, they do iraz. That means they turn their heels on it, they turn away from it. Right? They spurn it. You will find that when you meet a person who is a very stubborn atheist. It's not just that he will deny. He's not just he's going to say, I don't believe in Allah. He is going to be averse to anything that even suggests that Allah Ta'ala exists. He's going to be a person of iraz. He's going to be stubborn, he's going to be upset. Right? A lot of negativity flows from such people. You'll never find, there's never an, I'm, I'm just a passive atheist, I'm perfectly fine. No, no. You will find, if you scratch a little bit, you will see the incredible viciousness and venom, and venomous rejection and venomous iraz if you try to put the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in front of them. But it is said to them, right, and it's fascinating here that if you look at this in secular times, right, if you look at the person who views themselves as a secular humanist, or not a practicing Muslim, all I think is that you should be good to one another. So if you go to them and ask them, that, okay, why don't you pay your zakat? Why don't you do that? They start with those things in Islam that actually are also there in your secular values. That you should have compassion to the poor, you should feed the needy, you should pay your zakat. And these people don't even pay their zakat, they refuse. They won't pay their zakat. They may give something called charity, but it's not the amount of zakat that is due upon them. Right? They're not even able to do the things because when they spurn Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then make them do, will do iraz from the haqiqat of the deen from them. The deen will not, we will not be in their reach. So they're told, spend to the needy. Give to the poor from the wrist that Allah has given you. This is what unku yihbatin kuchiroki. Right? Why did you have to say that that wrist that we have to spend came from Allah? Right? Spend from the rest that Allah has given you. So what do the disbelievers say? That if you, you believe in Allah, let him feed them himself. That's khulasa of this, right? Why doesn't your Allah feed them himself if he so willed? Right? This is a classic, it's atheism, right? You will get this. Why is there famine in this world? If your Lord was so kind, if you believe in a God who is Alhamdulillah Rahimin, why does somebody die of hunger? So the answer to this is number one. Allah has put enough risk, sustenance on earth that there's no need for anybody to die from hunger. Secondly, he's put in a system, system called the deen of Islam, with usher, with zakat, that their system is built in. Right? And this I've mentioned to you many times in class, right, that my brother, when he worked for the IMF, he told me this, that the IMF and World Bank came up with this phenomenon that if the industrial nations of the world were to donate, right, 2% of their grain reserves, just their grain reserves, world famine would be eradicated. Not necessarily poverty, just famine. Famine is a very specific thing. That a person literally dies because they did not have food to eat. This is eradicable. But people have chosen to leave the system in which Allah Ta'ala put for the redistribution of income that would make sure famine never occurred. Right? And so then the command is to be given that they have, you have to do it. You are the one, O oh person who is wealthy, who has surplus wealth. You are the one who Allah has chosen to make a sabab. That's like a person sending back as well. Why should we engage in procreation? Allah is going to bring in whatever human beings He wills. No, you do asbab. So if you take asbab for that, you're going to have to make yourself asbab for this. 
And this is actually a great, this is a mercy of Allah. That He has allowed people who are wealthy to be used as His sabab for bringing income to the poor. But they refuse. Even this thing which is otherwise would be in consonance with their views. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning to them all of the manazal, right? That what is it exactly? So he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing them what is it that you're denying? All of these signs and all of these ayat and all of these verses were trying to get you to accept this reality that there's an akhirah, there'll be yawm al-qiyamah, you're going to come in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so what they say, right, they, they also know what this is about. They also know that all of this is to establish that promise. So they mock back. And they say, مَتَاهَذَ الْوَادَ إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ When will this wada happen? Oh, Muhammad Mustafa Sallallahu if you are true, when will this promise come? When will this hour come? They shoot back. <laughs> they know exactly why. So up till now, they were so untouched by this revelation. If you look at Surah Yasin, or those, at least this passage of Khitab to them, the unbeliever is absolutely unscathed, unmoved by all of this, and is still shooting back, right? So, Allah Subh'ala says, okay, what is it which you're waiting for? It's going to be a single snap, a single cry, a single shriek, a single cataclysmic event, a single rendering of everything that is in this earth and the universe, a single folding of all the mountains and this earth. It's going to be an instantaneous thing. And it will seize you. It's going to, it's, you're not going to know when it's going to come. Right, the Kofars, okay, tell us when is it? Tell us the date of Qiyamah. That's the type of thing they would be saying. Tell us when this day is going to come. So it's saying, you're not going to know. And it's going to come over you in such a sense that you will have be in a state of ghaflat. You will be arguing, disputing, quarreling over one another about whether you'll still be disputing the pros and cons of Iman and Kufr, whether to believe or not. You can spend a lifetime, lifetimes, millennia on this. And eventually, right, the day of judgment is not going to wait for you. It's not going to wait for you to reconcile this conflict inside yourself. It waits for no one. Right? So while you are in the state of khusuma, it will overcome you. And it will come upon them. This is just a way Allah Ta'ala is showing them. It will come upon them so suddenly they will not be able to make a wasiyah, which is a bequest to bequeath something to, your, to somebody after you die, to leave, to denote what you call your last will and testament. Right? The sharia itself has stipulated the designated heirs, those known as waratha. But in the Sharia, not that these people follow the Sharia, but in our Sharia, you're allowed to bequeath up to one-third of your money to a non-wadis. 
You can say, I'd like to leave one-third to this foundation or to this person or to whatever, for whatever function or for whatever purpose you want. But he's saying it's going to come to you so quickly you won't be able to do a siyat and you won't be able to go to your ahl. You won't be able to meet your family one last time, say one last goodbye. And this is something that's not just for the unbelievers, this is for us. And this isn't just something about the end of time, this is for our individual end of time, this is true about death. When death is going to come on us, none of us should think that, well, beforehand I will have some advance warning, then I'll put my affairs in order, then I will start making up my missed obligations, then I will start making toba, then I will try to set, make arrangements for my family, meet them one last time. Not everybody goes in such a state, right? Certainly those people who are alive at the time of Qiyamah, they're going to go like this. They're bar people. Otherwise, for people who Yom Al-Qiyamah itself will be the suburb of their moth, that shriek, that cry itself will be what brings about their death. And in hadith it is mentioned that this will only happen to a non-believer. The Prophet said that the day of judgment will not come as long as there is somebody who says, Allah, Allah, who is making remembrance of the name of Allah, who has belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So alhamdulillah, one thing Allah ta'ala saved the mu'mineen is that they will die through some sabab. Perhaps this is, must be the most deadly and painful way to die is to have your life force also rent asunder as the process of Allah Ta'ala rents asunder everything that is in creation. The horn will be blown. This is a very famous uh, notion mentioned here in the Quran also in the date that the angel Israfil will blow into something. You can call the surah horn. Allah knows best what that is. It's not like a current instrument called the trumpet. It's something. Right? It is going to be some Allah, something, and the angel of will blow into it. And even what is blowing means Allah knows best. We cannot necessarily ascribe to the angels human attributes such as breath and lips. But he, the angel of will be the sabab of some noise. He will do something through some instrument which will make some noise come. Now, the first thing is the cataclysmic shriek which will envelop the people who are alive. The second, the people who are already in their graves, right? So what will happen to them? They will be racing towards their Lord. Ila Rabbihim, they will race towards their Rabb. He's not going to come out passively out of your grave. It's not going to be the way when you wake up in the morning, right? You get to hit the snooze. There'll be no snooze button, right? When the angel Sophia blows the horn, there's no snooze in your grave. You're going to be raced towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's going to be, you're going to be hastening towards this process. It's going to be an intense process, right? Then they will say, Ya Wailana. This is a very famous wail. Means, woe unto us, we are totally destroyed. Woe unto me. What did I just do? They will realize, right? And it's interesting because they would have probably been going through some level of azab e at this point. But that azab of the cover is nothing compared to the realization that's going to dawn on them in the day of judgment. When they realize that this, and then Allah Ta'ala is actually trying to address the believers. That look, if you don't accept this teaching of Akhirah, the end of time, the hour now, that's going to come on you all of a sudden. And then you, and even if you manage to die, right? Because some of the kuffar would say, well, we're going to die well before I'm, I'm eight years old. I'll probably die before your supposed day of judgment comes. So the next thing is for them. That's fine. You might already be in your grave when it comes. You might not be there when that cataclysmic cry occurs. But you will be raised from your grave and instantly made to face to face that reality. And then, right, you will wonder, who is it that has revived us <laughs> from the sleeping place? Now there the cover is being referred to as a markat, as a resting place, right? Ah, it will be said to them, right, that this is the one of Rahman. Again, Rahman is being mentioned here, the merciful one. 
This is the promise of the merciful one, but you spurned his mercy. This is the promise of Rahman. Remember, لَأَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ A few verses before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed them, believe this so you can get the mercy. But you spurned him. So that same being, Ar-Rahman, who wanted you to accept so he could send his mercy on you now, that same being, Ar-Rahman, is going to revive you and put you through this process of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And you will realize then, if you do not now, at that moment, you will also become a Siddiq. You will know that the Mursaloon, the Anbiya, the messengers spoke the truth. They spoke truly. It will be no more than a single cry. In other words, it's going to be a single. There's not going to be some long drawn out process. It's going to be a single instant. And in no time, right? فَإِذَامْ جَمِيلٌ لَدَيْنَا مُحْضَرُونَ مُحْضَرُ They will be hadir. They will be assembled in front of us. They will be made present like this. Like this. Right? And there's no, means there's no delay. There's no time to cope. There's no time to realize. It will be a sudden and deep realization that will come over them because they denied it. Better than that you spend your time in this world. This world, right, is time. This world is a gradual way to prepare for the Akhirah. If you don't use this world every day to gradually remember and prepare for that Akhirah, when that Akhirah or that Yawm Al-Qiyamah comes upon us, there will be no time left to prepare or to come to terms with that reality. Better that we come to terms with that reality now. Then here Allah Sponta mentions thing that we did also when we did Surah Kaf. Uh, that nobody will be, and there will be no zulm on anyone. Everyone will only be dealt with on the Day of Judgment according to their own actions. They will only be recompensed positively or negatively for what they genuinely did. If you want, you can shoot back and look at that verse that we did in Surah Kaf. Here there was a verse we did in Surah Kaf. It's not 50, I haven't written down wrong. Huh, 49. What will they say? <coughs> That same thing, Ya Waylatana, right? Malihad al Kitab, La Yugadiru Sahiratan Walla Kabira is not omitted even the slightest of things that we did. Walla Kabira or the most enormous of things that we did. Illa Asaha accepted it, it is encompassed it in totality, it is presenting it right in front of us. All of our actions will be there. And they will find all of the things that they used to did be present in that book. And your Rabb, your Lord, does not do zulm on anyone. There is nothing that a person didn't do that will be there, and there is nothing that a person did that will be omitted from that record. Right, so this is that day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala oops, that they have to prepare themselves for. Take it. From here now we have to move. Okay, we'll have to stop there for now and just do these few verses. Then Allah Subhanahu goes and mentions what is it, right? After all of this, what is it that what will be the loss? What is the loss that you will get for not accepting the Yawm Al-Akhir, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, not accepting the Prophet Sallam, not accepting these ayat, not accepting the Nubu'ah, the loss is Jannah. So Allah Subhanahu then shifts, as this is wont often to shift from talking of punishment to reward. Right? In the Ashab Al-Jannah. And this is really, I mean, they're sahibs to one another. 
They are companions of one another. There will not be any laho, there will not be any discord, there will not be any idleness, there will not be any strife, there will not be any enmity, there will not be any hasad between the people of Jannah. Right? And in that day, fi shughalin, shughals, right? You have this Urdu word, right? Uh, shughal is an Arabic word, it means they are engaged in activities. They are merrily engaged in activities, they are enjoying. They are happily spending their time in Jannah. And this major thing which I mentioned to you once before, hum wa azwajuhum. And this is the notion that nikah is an eternal union. They will be there with their mankuha or with their mankuh. A woman will be there with her husband. And a husband will be there with his wife, right? There's a very famous joke that some Babaji, right? Turn this verse. And nikah ki achha jannat mein ye bhi hogi mere saath. Prishan ho gaya, right? So, unko batai hai ki jannat mein aap bhi aise nahi honge, wo bhi aise nahi honge. Aap ek dusre istana saath honge, ki aap itne se sirdaze honge, right? Hum wa azwaju hum. They will be there with their spouses. This is an eternal union. Therefore, select your spouse carefully. Select who you choose to marry extremely carefully. They're not only going to be with you in this world, they're going to be with you in the next world. They're going to be with you in this world. They're going to help you or hurt your chances in gaining the next world. Fi dhalalin ala araik. Araik. This is, I mean, couches here. This isn't enough. Araik would mean like thrones, really. Throneful. It's a resplendent, splendid platforms, right? More akin to a throne. But obviously two people, so answers being translated as a couch. But some very splendid seating arrangement for them. And they will be there and they will be muttake, ittika. Means it literally it is reclining. They will be resting, reclining. Take lagana. Your take comes from this Urdu word. Take lagare honge Right? That itself is a netma. Right? That itself is a netma. For them there are fruits. They will be fruits, all types of edibles from theirs, whatever they ask for, whatever they want, whatever happiness, whatever thing they want, they will be able to get it in Jannah. And then the ultimate, Salamun Qawlam Mir Rabbir Rahim. Sayyidina Jabir bin Abdullah Rindu narrates that the Prophet said that the people of Jannah, in describing these verses, that the people of Jannah will be enjoying, engaged in the shughal, eating their fruits, spending time with their spouses, and then all of a sudden a nur will appear and they will look up at that nur and they will receive this salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself will address qawl. It will be a qawl. Allah knows best what that means. How we cannot even imagine what it would be like to hear the voice of Allah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself will be the mutakallim. And his kalam will be salam. He will send his peace, his salam, his glad tidings, his greetings, his happiness. Min Rabbir Rahim again that Rahim. The same theme is coming up. Rahma, Rahman, Rahim. So from that Rabbi Rahim, this will come. Last verse for today. This is a verse that Imam al Allah used to recite over and over again the whole night in Nafal Salah. That if the un- insincere people may be admixtured with the believers in this world, but on that day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell the mudrims to get separated from the mu'mins. Maybe all of humanity will be khaltamalt will amass in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this mixed way, Allah will tell the mujrimun to become separate. And the pious, our early pious predecessors, the Salaf Salihin of whom Umam Hunifa is the Tabin, one of the Imams of the Salaf Salihin, used to be scared. That what if I'm addressed by this command that Allah tells me to get separate? 
Right? And so this is one dua we can make in the month of Ramadan that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not include me amongst the mujrimun but write for me to be amongst the mu'mineen. So when the proclaimer makes this call, I'm not from those who are separate, I'm not one of the ones who is asked to separate, but I'm amongst those who is able to stay in the mu'mineen. Wa akhirat da'wana and alhamdulillah bin alameen. Asr Jamaat is 15 minutes earlier. Asr Jamaat for the men is 5.45. You've got one minute. One minute.